And I'm always excited. I know that about me, but I'm extra excited this morning because of the series. Uh, we're starting a series on marriage this morning, and I got to tell you, there's been so many things already that I am just at awe about it, what God has shown me, and I get, can't wait. I can't wait to tell you guys about it. So uh, I'm glad you're here, and I'm glad to be here. And happy Father's Day, everyone. Happy Father's Day. Yeah. You know, they say on Mother's Day, more people come to church than on Father's Day, less people come to church. But with you guys, that's not true. That's not true. About the same come. So that's good. That's good. No, it's good. That's a good thing. Okay, so marriage. As soon as you heard me say marriage, you probably have things pop in your head like, oh, no, he's going to tell us how to be kind and never yell at each other and all that stuff. No, no, it's not going to be that kind of marriage series. Um, so I just want to say I understand that there's only some of us that are married in this place, in this church, and, and this message is for everyone. So um, if you're not married yet, if you're not married yet, don't worry, I'm not going to embarrass you or anything, uh, this series is for you. This series is for you if you're, you're not married. If you've been divorced or if you're widowed, this series is for you. Um, and if you are married, this series is also for you. Um, if you, you're not married and you never want to be married, maybe that's you. This series is also for you. You get my drift here? This series is for everybody. Marriage is a hot topic these days. Uh, but actually, that's not why I picked it. That's not why I picked it. God holds marriage up as something we need to pay really, really close attention to. He does. He holds that up. And God did this for a reason. It's a profound and deep reason that no matter what stage of life you are in and no matter what your marital status is, marriage can teach you something about God. And that alone is why I want to study it for four weeks and why I want to always have it on the forefront of my mind. It's also because I'm married and I want that to go well. So there's an ulterior motive there as well. She's not here this morning, so I can talk about her. Oh, this is being recorded. I shouldn't say that. Yes. Listen to this. So no matter where you are, pay attention to marriage. Hebrews 13.4 says marriage should be honored by all. Okay, so the author of Hebrews wrote that knowing that some of the people reading that text would not be married. Some of the people reading that text would never be married. Some of the pe people reading that text are in fact married. He knows that and he still says marriage should be honored by all. So today we're going to look at what God says marriage is and how we are to view it, no matter what our marital status is. And then starting next week, for the, for the next several weeks, we're going to look at aspects of this marriage that God describes. So the first passage I want to share with you today is Genesis 2, 19 through 24. It's the very first place in Scripture that marriage is mentioned, and I think it's a pretty profound passage. So I'm going to read it to you. Um, and then we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit. So two, I'm actually going to start in 18. I lied, not 19. I'm going to start in 18. Genesis 2, 18. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. And he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each of the living creatures was its name. So the, man gave the, uh, so the man gave the names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. That's kind of a daunting task. 
But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. I I imagine God's look on his face when he brings the woman to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. We'll stop there interesting passage, and there's so much context there. I think I've read that passage a hundred times at weddings. It's a very common one. But what's going on in this passage? There's a lot of ways we can take it, and I think a lot of people read that or hear about that story, and they misunderstand it. So it's good for us to take a minute. The first thing I'd like to point out is what Adam says to Eve, men, Father's, Father's Day, let me just give you a piece of advice. That's not a very romantic thing to say to the lady that you just met. Okay, that's not a good introduction. Ah, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, yes, you will be called woman. It's almost like he's saying, um, um, you know, you remind me of somebody. Oh, yeah, you remind me of me. Yeah, that's not romantic, okay, just FYI, that's not a good picture. So he doesn't say anything like, um, I love your eyes. I don't know. You're so beautiful. Not, wow, God, thank you for this amazing creature that will be my companion. No, he doesn't say any of that. He just says, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. You came out of me, so you will be called woman. But, here's a big but, (laughs) but, If you take in context what Adam is actually saying, believe it or not, it is very, very romantic, and it's profound. See, what Adam is actually saying is, see, see, God gave me a job, and I can't do that job without you. What Adam is actually saying to Eve is, you actually complete me. And the interesting thing is, is God took part of me and made you so that you would complete the job that he's asked now us to do. So it's a step into community. It's a step into relationship. It's not a, um, I I needed you because I got this thing I got to do and that's what's going to happen. It's a, no, come, now it's an us and we get to accomplish the job that God has set out. Some interesting things about the story and, and you can go research this further if you want. There's an Egyptian word for rib. It's iwu, uh, or imu, sorry, I-M-W is how you, how you write it in English, imu. And that word actually can mean clay, which is interesting because he made Adam out of clay. And then there's this word out there that, that could mean clay or it could mean rib, right? Another uh, Sumerian word, an even older word, is ti, T-I. And it means life. And so you have all these kind of weird meanings swirling around the word rib. But I think um, this one commentator had it right when he said, not made out of his head. So God didn't make woman out of Adam's head. Not uh, Not out of his head to top him. Not out of his feet to be trampled upon by him. But out of his side to be equal with him. 
under his arm to be protected and near his heart because, he, because she is beloved. That was Matthew Henry, a small name commentator. I don't know if you've heard of him. <laughs> Written a lot of things. I think there's something interesting there. And he might be taking the rib analogy a little too far. But I think what God is doing is he's saying, this is a helpmate. This is a partner. This is a companion. This is not someone to rule over. This is not someone to take advantage of. This is someone who will help you fulfill your destiny. This is a helpmate. Gordon Wineham said, To help someone does not imply that the helper is stronger than the helped. Simply that the latter's strength is inadequate by itself. Adam's strength was inadequate by itself. And God knew it and said, You know what? You need help. I'm going to create someone that will give you the strength that you need to accomplish what I've asked you to do. There's always for this reason. This, scripture talks about this passage several times, so we're going to read a couple of them in a minute. But, but for this reason, a man leaves his mother and father. And you have this physical sense. For this reason, a man leaves his father and mother and, and joins with his wife. And, and that physical reason starts with there's an inability in a man on his own in order for a woman to fulfill it. This isn't just because he desires his wife, although that's part of it. It's because his responsibilities have changed. His responsibilities have grown. And now he has the recipe for the success that God has asked him to accomplish It's, it's, you know, we're talking about marriage, we're talking about husband and wife, and that's a great topic, but it's actually even bigger than that. And this is why I selected this series. This is a reflection of something bigger, much, much bigger. I'm going to read to you Ephesians 5, 31 through 33, and I'm going to read it to you in the NLT because I think it's a little prettier. The NLT sometimes is that way. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two will be united into one. This is a great mystery, Paul says to the church in Corinth, but it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So did you catch what Paul did there? It's a profound mystery. Paul just didn't say why a husband, why people that are married should care about marriage. He actually told us right there why everyone should care about marriage. This profound mystery is a description of Christ and the church. And that should, that should prick all our ears. Whoa, Christ and the church. That's bigger than just me and my wife. That's bigger than me and my little family. That's something much, much larger. This is the reason why marriage should be honored by all. And this is the very reason that marriage can be something that every person on the planet can learn from and can grow from and and can help them mature in their understanding of Christ. It's because God chose this relationship this relationship to reflect how Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her. 
In fact, it's such a, a early on decision that God makes. We're not really sure which one shows which. And what I mean by that is when God describes the relationship between his son and the people, he describes marriage. Or is it the way a man and a woman have a relationship that he is describing Christ in the church? Which one's more important? Does Christ use marriage to describe Christ, or does God use marriage to describe Christ, or does God use Christ to describe marriage? This is why it's a profound mystery. Now listen to what Paul says. I said Corinthians earlier. I meant the Ephesians. Listen to what Paul says to the Corinthians. Now, so now it's a different church he's writing to. Paul says, For I am jealous for you with the jealousy of God himself. I promised you as a pure bride to one husband, Christ. You see what Paul's doing there? He's looking at this church as if she is a betrothed woman. And he's saying, listen, I'm jealous for you because I promised God that you would be pure for Christ. That's your husband, not the world, not the distractions. That's why you're to be pure. I promised you, you're betrothed. Can you imagine sitting in the the church in Corinth and hearing Paul say that to you? Whoa, this is way, way bigger than the way a man loves a woman. Way bigger. This is is my point. This is my main point this morning. Marriage is more, is important. It's important because it's an illustration of Christ and the church. Not because it makes us happy. Not because it's something some of us are really good at and others aren't. It's none of those things. It's an illustration of Christ and the church. And it's worth looking at. It's worth thinking about. To understand what marriage relationship looks like, we must understand the relationship between Christ and the church. Listen to this quote by Jeffrey Bromley. As God made man in his own image, so he made an earthly marriage in the image of his own eternal marriage with his people. My hope is, is that as we think about marriage, and as we think about what Christ and the church are like to one another that our understanding of marriage between a man and a woman will expand and will grow and will start to teach us who Christ is and who the church should be to him. Why is this important to know? The thing is, is if you think marriage is here to make you happy, several things are going to happen. One, you're going to be really unhappy. That's the first thing that's going to happen. Two, If your marriage does not work out, or your marriage is harder than you thought, or you realize that you will never be married, you will be unhappy. (laughs) But the bigger reason why is because that's not what it's for. Marriage is a reflection of Christ and the church. And no matter where we are in our lives, no matter what our marital status is, no matter what Facebook says about our relationship, it is to reflect Christ and the church. And the, the, when we do that, when we think that way, it sets apart this relationship. And it teaches us it's way, way bigger. 
If you want to be married and you're not, you're selling marriage short. If you think that it's about the happiness that you're longing for. Believe it or not, marriage is so much bigger than our relationship, our relational status. From the beginning, from the very, very beginning, marriage was to reflect Christ and his church. So this is what I want to do. Listen to this passage, and you may have heard this passage before. And you've probably heard it before from the perspective of a man and a woman. But listen to it a little differently. Listen to it from the standpoint of Christ talking to his bride, the church. Okay? Listen to this. How delightful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much more pleasing is your love than wine and the fragrance of your perfume more than any spice. It changes when you think of Christ telling us that. How delightful is your love, Christ says to us. How much more pleasing is your love than wine and the fragrance of your perfume more than any spice. That's Song of Solomon 410. A fascinating perspective. There's hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of passages in Scripture that talks about marriage. And if you read them from the standpoint of Christ loving the church and then the church's response back to Christ, its bride, or its, its groom, it changes the way we look at marriage. We are the betrothed. We are engaged. And soon there will be the wedding. And the wedding is when Christ comes back. And this book tells us story after story about how much love the groom has for the bride. And it is a profound mystery, Paul says. A profound mystery. This is why marriage is important, because it's an illustration of Christ in the church. And this is why we need to think about it. And I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry if the word marriage brings up pain in your life. And I, if that's you, and you're sitting here going, I can't think of marriage because of how bad it hurts, then I'm here to tell you, you have not experienced marriage the way God intended it to, to be experienced. And someday you will. Someday you will because your groom is coming back for you. If we miss this, if we misunderstand what marriage is really about, this is what's going to happen. We're going to start watering down the meaning. And, and it will soon become an old, archaic construct that we have evolved past. It's not relevant anymore. That was for people in the past. We are, we are more mature. We don't need this little thing called marriage. But the reality is, is marriage is what God selected to teach us how much Christ loves the church. God chose to describe how a man should love a woman the same way that Christ loves the church. And marriage is so important because of that fact. So, what do we need to do? <laughs> Put an application point on that, Josh. 
one of the passages just said it's a great mystery. So how can I send you out here with three things to do <laughs> in order to understand the great mystery? The question is, is how can we honor marriage? That's, that's Hebrews 13. How do we honor marriage no matter where we are? How can we illustrate this relationship and how can we understand it more? And in this relationship, husbands represent Christ and the wives represent church, and that's the way God designed it. But we are the betrothed, and we're waiting for Him to return. And as we wait, as we wait for our, for our betrothed to come back to us, what do we do? I can't get through a sermon on, on marriage without talking about my wife because she's such a big, important part of my life, but I'll tell you one. I can imagine... Me asking Jen to marry her, she says yes, and then when we part, she goes away and is distracted and forgets about me. Would that happen? Of course not. Of course not. Would she, would she go be, be uh, wooed by another? <laughs> of course not. We did. We actually got engaged, and then she went back to college, and we had a whole other year and a half of being apart. And so it was really hard, but it was really good in another way because we counted down the days. We both had calendars, and we would mark off the days, and we were so excited, and we were waiting for that day. And as, you know, things started to happen, okay, we got the guest list, and, and we're putting together all the details. It became more and more and more real. And I got more excited, and she got more excited. And finally on that day, it happened, and we were married. That's us. What are we going to do as we wait for the, bride, for the groom to come back to us? Will we be distracted? Will we be wooed by somebody else, the, the world perhaps? Or will we meditate on this marriage? That's what I want us to do. I want us to meditate on the mystery. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done or what you're going to do, Meditate on the mystery of marriage because it reflects Christ and his church. And if we don't do that, if we don't meditate on the mystery of marriage, it'll become just another small part or a distant memory in our lives. It'll become a status symbol instead of a reflection. It'll become a means to an end instead of a way to know Christ. It will become for some unobtainable an unobtainable goal for their happiness. So sad. When in reality, it's so much bigger than me and you. It's the way a God loves his creation. Marriage is the best reflection of how Christ loves us. Let's pray together. Jesus. This is a profound mystery, Lord. Your servant, Paul, wrote those words. And so with a profound mystery, we don't have the tools. We don't have the ability to understand it. And God, I know that there's people in this room that marriage brings up horrible pain. So God, for those people, I ask that you would heal that pain, that you would soothe it, and you would give them peace, and you would show them what marriage looks like. Lord, I also know there's people 
in this room that have been married and will never be married again. So I ask, Lord, that you would comfort them and that you would be close to them. And for those of us that are married, Lord, I ask that we would see our spouses as you see us with the same love and passion. And above all, Lord, I ask that we would be able to understand this great mystery as we wait with great anticipation for the groom to come back. We love you, Jesus, and in your name, amen.